Here we go. So from last week, very quickly, let's go. Um, you'll find on your booklets for this week uh, answers from one to five, so you can feel free to write down the answers. Uh, and if you don't know the answers, have a guess. And I think we might have a couple of chocolates available to the person who gets the highest out of five. Here we go. Question number one. Where was Paul when he wrote Philippians? Where was Paul when he wrote Philippians? Where was he? Now, there might be an argument to the place in which he was, the city, but we kind of know that he was somewhere in one of those cities. Where was Paul when he was writing Philippians? Question number two. What group of, of Jews did Paul belong to before he became a Christian? What group of Jews did Paul belong to before he became a Christian? Okay, I'm not sure why there's two question twos, but that's okay. Let's call this one question number three. Ah, you put one in. Okay. Did you take one out? Okay, there's six questions. There we go. This is now question number three. Who visited Paul from the church in Philippi? Who visited Paul in the church of Philippi? Was it Timothy, Saul, um, Epaphroditus, or Thessalonica? I've said that wrong. I apologize. I've been on holiday. One of these people visited Paul from the church in Philippi. Let's call this question four. Can you finish my comment about big problems. We talked about this. Uh, too often we focus on the big problem, not on our blank blank. If you were here last week, too often we focus on the big problems, not on our big, whoops, not on our, there you go, you got a freebie. I've narrowed it down for you. Okay, that was question number three. Too often we focus on our big problems, not on our... Question number four. Finish this memory verse from last week. And I am sure of this, that he who began blank blank in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. I am sure of this, that he who began something in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. A something something. All right. And question number five, which is actually question number six. What did Paul say was one good thing about his imprisonment? What did he say was one good thing about being in prison? Which kind of gives you the answer to question one, doesn't it? <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> okay. All right, you should have six answers written down there. And let's quickly go through them. I don't think I've written all of the answers. Okay. So, question number one. Where was Paul when he wrote Philippians? The answer is in jail, in prison. He could have been in Rome. He could have been in um, Ephesus. They're not entirely sure, but they definitely know he was in prison. Question number two. Will, uh, what group of Jews did Paul belong to before he became a Christian? Pharisees. Correct. 
Question number three. Uh, who visited Paul from the church in Philippi? Ephroditus, yes. Question number four. Can you finish this comment about big problems? Um, too often we focus on big problems, not on our big God. Very, I, yeah, it was, it was only going to be a very narrow answer there, wasn't it? It was pretty obvious. Question number five. Finish this memory verse from last week. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you uh, will bring to completion the day of Jesus Christ. And question number five, what did Paul say was one good thing about his imprisonment? Do we remember? He said, and uh, most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord uh, by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word. So something that says others have been become bold to preach the gospel. Something like that. It has encouraged others. Something like that. If you've got an answer that kind of fits with that, uh, you've got 10 seconds to tally your answers and write down whether you got 5 out of 6, 6 out of 6, 2 out of 6. You've got 10 seconds. All right. Hands up if you got 3 out of 6. Ooh, I don't know if that's a good sign or a bad sign. Hands up if you got 4 out of 6. Good work. Okay. Hands up if you got 5 out of 6. Oh, good. 3. Okay, hands up if you got six out of six. Oh, I see that hand down there. Who was that? Maxine, everyone give Max. So she was the first. Give Maxine a big round of applause. Nikki's going to give you a chocolate. Hey, what I'd like to do is invite Warren up. He's going to come and share um, what he has been learning and hearing from the Lord about Philippians chapter two. Bless you. I just had a marvelous time, um, and I really mean this, a marvelous time this week going through Philippians 2. There are a few passages of the Bible that I get emotional about when I read them. I don't know if you ever have this problem, but more than once as I thought about the importance of these things, Actually, I, the eyes watered up a little bit because I thought of just how wonderful God is. And um, so we're going to go on, and I hope I'm going to hit the right thing here. You know what it's like. Philippians 2. And we're going right off to start with, your life in Christ makes you strong, and his love comforts you. You have fellowship with the Spirit and you have kindness and compassion for one another. I urge you then to make me completely happy by having the same thoughts, sharing the same love and being one in soul and mind. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or from a cheap desire to boast, but be humble towards one another. Always considering one another better than yourselves and look out for one another's interests not just your own. And I was, um, I'm going to move on with this. Um, he finishes chapter one with it is being granted for you not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. And, and 
suffering isn't always a physical thing. Sometimes it's making a sacrifice and doing stuff that we wouldn't want to do for the sake of other people. And, and to me, that's a very, very important thing to understand. You know, have you ever been in the situation somebody asks you to do something and you think inside, oh, I don't want to do that? Or am I the only person like that? And you go and do it. And you say, Lord, Lord, forgive me for being such a prat. <laughs> and you go and do it. And suddenly that person was so thankful and grateful that you knew that you had to go and do it. It really helped someone else. And, and to me, we're talking about something that's important for us. And so we need to understand the first lesson there. How does it shape Cornerstone? And the words that I want to think about are community. Let me give you a little picture. I walked in this morning... And as I walked in this morning, there were all the, the, the kids' church people, round in a team together, praying to the Lord that God would bless them in the way that they were helping kids. They were absolutely and totally committed in love to these kids. Then they come up and make fools of themselves in front of us. And we all love it. And we think it's great. And we love to be crazy. But that's part of this giving yourself for others. That's what Paul is talking about. He's talking about community. Let me tell you another story. We were having a meeting last, last uh, Monday night. We've just begun to form a new group to do impact. And at one stage Fred said, now there's got to be less hooey and more dewey. <laughs> That's less talk and more action. And I thought, yep. By the time Monday night was over, there was a whole lot of stuff. The conversations online had got stuff going. Within that week, we'd got our first two jobs. This is the culture that Paul is talking about in this passage. He's saying, he's saying this. He's saying, if you really love me, you're going to be prepared to do stuff for other people. You're going to be prepared to put yourself out for other people. And when somebody has an outburst, instead of getting angry at them, you're going to say, Lord, give me patience right now. Because that's the culture of community right here in the passage. Do you know, I said to Dre this morning about it, I said, Dre, did you think of the four columns of Cornerstone when you, when you chose Philippians? He said, no, I chose it in December. He said, but it's perfect. This is, this is God organizing this, this theme of Philippians. This is not Dre or me. This is God organizing it. We're in the midst of something where God is wanting to take us as a church on a journey to be like the Philippian church, to actually... Do stuff that is truly unselfish. Yes, I became a little bit emotional when I realized what God is doing. Because God is doing it. And we are just the kids who are doing as we're told. 
And then comes this great purple passage. This is one that really wrings the tears out of me sometimes when I meditate on it. I think about it and it really challenges me. The attitude you should have is the one that Christ Jesus had. He always had the nature of God. But he didn't think that by force he should try and remain equal with God. Instead of this, of his own free will, he gave up everything he had. Took the nature of a servant he became human and appeared in human likeness. He was humble and walked the path of obedience all the way to death, death on the cross. For this reason, God raised him to the highest place and gave him the name that is greater than any other name that so in honor of the name of Jesus, all beings in heaven on earth and in the world below will fall on their knees and will openly proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's just unwrap that a tiny bit. Think like Jesus. Think the way he thought. That always looked at other people and not about himself. He never snatched at equality with God and that's humble. He gave up all his rights and that's humble. You know, I'm human and I like people to like me. <laughs> right? Anybody else feel like that? You're allowed to put your hand up. <laughs> I like people to like me. When you give up all your rights, you say, I've got to be true to God. And sometimes I know that's not going to be popular. He became man, even more humble. He died on the cross and he accepted the shame of being seen as the worst of men. You see, dying on a cross was punishment only for the very worst of people. So Jesus voluntarily became like the worst human being that you can imagine. That's beyond humble. And I think about it and I think, he did that for me. He did it for you too. And it does not matter how bad you've been. It does not matter how unworthy you feel. He died in your place so that you might know God. He's taken away all the unfavorable record of our sins and nailed it to the cross. And I am blown away and eternally grateful that God's done it for me. And I would love you to feel the same way that I do. For this reason, God raised him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. Do you realize that everyone, everywhere is, is going to bow to Jesus? Do you know those atheists who make fun of Jesus? When they come to meet him, they will have to bow down. I would sooner bow down in worship than in shame. By the way, this passage is a passage that our creeds and our beliefs all manner of things come from this passage. It's so powerful. And I'm just touching the surface. Because if I really went into this passage, it would take a series. Right? There's so much in it. Christ is Lord. What an example for all Christians. And you know, I stop and I, sometimes I say something that I shouldn't say. And I think to myself... I need to follow Jesus more. I need to follow his example more. I know that I haven't got there. 
I understand that. Look, I've been a Christian for 63 years, I think it is. It's old, longer than most of you have been alive. <laughs> and I'm still learning. But I'll leave it to next week for Dre to talk about growth. <laughs> so then, dear friends, as you always obeyed me when I was with you, it is even more important that you obey me now while I'm away from you. Keep on working with fear and trembling to complete your salvation because God is always at work in you to make you willing and able to obey his own purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may be innocent and pure as God's perfect children who live in a world of corrupt and sinful people. You must shine among them like stars lighting up the sky as you offer them the message of life. If you do so, I shall have reason to be proud of you on the day of Christ, because it will show that all my effort and work have not been wasted. And then he goes on, perhaps my life's blood is to be poured out like an offering on the sacrifice. He was talking about the possibility of his crucifixion, wasn't he? On the sacrifice that your faith offers to God, so that it is so, I am glad and share my joy with you. In the same way, you too must be glad and share your joy with me. He's now stopping and saying, if Jesus did this for us, then I want you to really follow that example. I want you to really do this. You know, I believe that these words are foundational for the culture of our church. If we want a statement of what we should be like, this is it. And this is one of the things that really got to me. You see, we are to shine as lights in a dark world because you go out there, I'll tell you something, and I don't want this to happen, but if everybody here told the story of close friends, relatives, and others who have got terrible problems, the rest of us would be absolutely shocked. And we are the people who are following Christ. You go out one level to those people who are not following Christ and there is more misery in the community of New Zealand than you could imagine. My daughter is a clinical psychologist and she knows she doesn't say because it's better to be innocent than it is to get involved in the muck. And we are to be shining lights. We are to live in such a way to be God's children and to have the attitude of love that Jesus has. This is what this is about. To work at our salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because I know how easy it is to fall. I know how easy it is to make mistakes and actually cause other people damage. And that's critically important. Your walk with Christ. God's presence helps our attitude and it helps us to live. Stay close to God. And that's, that's so important. I have learned this lesson that goes like this. If I want to be holy, if I want to be a loving person, the only place that I can go that will truly help me is in prayer and walking with Jesus. 
When I preached last and I said, wake up each morning and say, good morning, Jesus, I was saying something of absolute critical importance. The presence of God is going to make you holy. The absence of God is going to let you slide. And, and that's why Paul is saying, be innocent in this corrupt world. Shine like stars. Don't get mixed up with all the trash talk and the gossip. Gossip is one of the worst things in the world. You know, it really is terrible. Because gossip turns everything downward. And you just look down at the muck and the problems of people's lives. And you can't then give them a heavenly uplift. And you can't give them a real encouragement. And so Jesus is calling us, Paul is calling us to be innocent in this world. Not to get, you know, whatsoever things are lovely, pure and good. Think about those things. Try and, and lift people up. And that's part of our culture too. That should be part of our culture. Then people will see the good news of Jesus. You know, there's a passage that says from the gospel, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And Paul is saying exactly that. He's saying, this is something that you can do that will change the world. And people will love you for it because they see the goodness in you. Paul knows that he could soon die, yet he shares his joy. And it goes both ways. You know something? I watch our pastor. Now, I've had a few years pastoring, and I know the ups and downs. And every now and then I see him, and I f see that some of the hard stuff that he's had to deal with has got to him. That's right, isn't it? And I really, because I'm old and gnarly, I get a bit protective. <laughs> and when you stand, in the firing line, which is to be the pastors, you stand in a place where you can be criticized, not because you aim to do the wrong thing, but because you're trying to do the right thing and there's pressures on you all the time. Now, Paul knew that he could actually face the ultimate thing. He, they could string him up on a cross and kill him. I think that's what they did to him in the end. But he says, my joy is in seeing you follow Jesus. Keep my joy full. Keep me joyful. Dre's joy is to see us walk with Jesus. Remember he said in sermons more than once that it's not to fill the place with people. It's for us all to grow in Jesus that's important for him. And that's what he wants us to do. That's why we're doing this passage. And then he goes and says, if it's the Lord's will, I hope that I'll be able to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be encouraged by the news about you. He's the only one who shares my feelings and who really cares about you. Everyone else is concerned only with their own affairs, not with the cause of Jesus Christ. And you yourselves know how he has proved his worth. Now he and I, like a son and his father, have worked together for the sake of the gospel. 
So I hope to send him to you as soon as I know how things are going to turn out for me. And I trust in the Lord myself will be able to come and see you soon. He's in prison and he still wants to come and see them. He's an absolute optimist, is Paul. He just loves to get in there and do stuff for Jesus. That's, I think, is that's, you know... We should have had a sixth column. At least I reckon we should have had a sixth column. And the sixth column should have been enthusiasm for Jesus. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? To be wild, sold out for the Lord. At least that's what I feel. <laughs> and Paul is living it out. And that's the wonderful thing. Timothy was his main support. He loved him like a son. You read in other parts. He, he wrote the special two letters to Timothy. You know, and, and they obviously... And, and our, our connect group, one of our connect groups is studying them. And it's absolutely, it's true that Paul really loved him like a son. But even so, he still wanted to hear from the Philippians. He never gave up hope that he could be freed. And I think this is another thing about being innocent in a sinful world, looking at the possibilities that God wants to give you rather than the problems that the world throws at you. You know, you know that question that we had before? Paul was talking about, what? don't focus on the big problems, focus on the big I've thought it necessary to send you our brother Epaphroditus, who has worked and fought by my side and who has served as your messenger in helping me. He's anxious to see you and is very upset because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was sick and almost died. But God had pity on him, and not only on him, but on me too, and spared me an even greater sorrow. I'm all the more eager then to send him away to you so that you will be glad again when you see him. And my own sorrow will disappear. Receive him then with joy as a believer in the Lord. Show respect to all such people as he because he risked his life and nearly died for the sake of the work of Christ in order to give me the help that you yourselves could not give. Epaphroditus. He brought the gift from the Philippians. He was the one who brought the gift that enabled Paul to have a decent life in prison. So he came from the Philippians and he was their messenger. He was sick and was healed. Do you know something? It doesn't say specifically, but it does say God spared him. So what do you think the people in, with Paul were doing for him? What were they doing? They were praying. They were claiming healing. Now, one of the things that I have learned as a pastor is this. When there is sickness, pray for healing. No matter what the sickness is. Now, it may be that God's going to take somebody home to heaven. And that's God's understanding. But the more we are open, the more the Holy Spirit will guide us to places where we can pray and see miracles. Epaphroditus, with no fanfare, they said God spared him. It was God's work that healed him. And Paul cared and loved him, and he was a great help. I want you to stop and think about these things because this is very important. You see, 
How do we build relationship in the way that Paul did for the Philippians with these two helpers? Our eldership is a very close and honest group. That would be true. We have each other's backs. Now, I normally don't get fierce, right? But mark my words. If you unjustly attack the eldership, I will stand for them because we have relationship in Christ. Paul stood for Timothy. He stood for Epaphroditus. He stood for the whole church at Philippi. One of our columns is relationship. The task that I want to give to you is to build relationships and friendships in this church that are strong, that matter, and are fruitful in the sense that you are a blessing to each other. As a group, the eldership and the pastors cannot do this on their own. The real ministers in this church are you, and you are the ones who build relationship. We have said relationship is important in our church because we know that the key to relationship is love, and love comes from God. And if we want to be a truly Christian church, we build relationship. That is ground zero. It's what will change and transform this town, that we truly love one another. Now, that really, I think you'll find, is everything that I need to say. <laughs> because... Paul said it all in a wonderful letter, and it's been a privilege to be able to, to tell you about it. But I'd like, to, I'd like to lead us in prayer. Jesus, you showed us really what life is about. You showed us that we are the children of God, every one of us. And that's secure because of your death on the cross. And for that reason, we can be generous and loving. Holy Spirit, come, come grow in us the likeness of Jesus that when we go out into the world and when we meet each other that your presence will be like a light shining from our lives, changing the way we see the world, helping other people, bringing happiness and joy to all that we meet. Amen.